You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, breaking details in a shocking tragedy in Vancouver where two people were shot this morning, one of them pregnant. Our Ramina Dea is live to near where it happened. Ramina, you spoke with a woman who actually confronted the suspect. Sonia, it's an incredible story. Dolly told us that she was acting on instinct. Her friend was in, in trouble, so she stepped in. She says she does not regret her actions, even though she could have been killed. I heard a lot of commotion and yelling. Dolly had just finished work at the print shop when the gunman opened fire. All I seen was Jess, and she had a bullet hole in her belly. And it was, being a mom, I can't imagine what she's going to go through when she wakes up. Dolly's friend, a 31-year-old mother-to-be from Vancouver, was rushed to hospital. She was in the third trimester of her pregnancy, and unfortunately, the unborn child did not survive. The gunman walked into the woman's apartment, located at the back of the print shop, and started shooting just before 6 a.m. According to witnesses, the shooter is the woman's ex. A 23-year-old man from Langley who works here was also shot. So I believe he was, he had her in his best interest. And that's why he was trying to protect her, keep her away from potential harm. Witnesses say there could have been more bloodshed if it wasn't for Dolly stepping in and confronting the shooter. I called him down, I told him what I thought of him, and I decked him one. And he hit me back. But Dolly stood her ground. The gunman took off. That baby's never not have a chance, not take a first breath. She's never going to be able to watch her baby grow into a beautiful person. And um, it's really sad. He's a coward as far as I'm concerned. And Romina, what about motive? What's been said about that? What do we know so far? Police are not commenting on a potential motive at this point. They will only say that the shooting appears to be targeted and it's not gang-related. They've been here for hours. They just wrapped up a short time ago. The police tape is down. It looks like the investigation is over here at the print shop, at least. As far as the condition of the man and woman, we know that the woman is still in hospital in critical condition. The man was released. The gunman still out there, though, Sonia. No arrests have been made. Well, let's hope uh, people come forward with some information. Thanks very much for that. Romina Dea reporting for us tonight on Our Top Story. Now to breaking details of an arrest in a cold case that dates back decades. Police in Washington state announcing a stunning break in connection with the double homicide of a Vancouver Island couple. Tonight, a 55-year-old man is in custody. Paul Johnson explains how it was DNA that may have brought justice one step closer to reality. Yesterday, the killer had his last sleep in his own bed. His last coffee break his last day of freedom. If the detectives are right, this is the closure Jay Cook's family has waited 30 years for. What an amazing world we live in today. It was November of 1987 when 20-year-old Jay Cook and his 18-year-old girlfriend Tanya von Kylenberg, both of Saanich, left for what was meant to be a short trip to Seattle. They never returned. Their bodies were found in two different places in northern Washington state, and the case 
went cold. But there was DNA of the suspect gathered at the time. That's what we're looking for. And just last month, detectives announced they were using new technology to try and identify the killer. Now, they think it worked. Today we are one step closer for justice for Jay Cook and Tanya Van Kylenborg. Using new technology, a digital file was made from the suspect's DNA and uploaded to a site called GEDmatch, which is a public database of genetic information. There were two matches for people theoretically in the suspect's family tree, which led them to the door of this man, 55-year-old William Earl Talbot of SeaTac, Washington. After surveilling him and then getting a fresh DNA match from a cup he drank from, they arrested him yesterday. Most people will applaud the use of these technologies for bringing about justice. The company that did the genetic matching says it was the same technique that was used to track down the suspect in the Golden State killer case in California, which has triggered a debate over privacy associated with popular new DNA-based ancestry tracing products. But that'll be an argument for another time. Today in Washington, a Canadian family felt closer than ever to justice. On one hand, we're close to closure, and on the other, we're still at a loss. And I don't have my only son, Jay. Paul Johnson, Global News. The victim of a homicide found in the Fraser River in Richmond last night has been identified. Investigators say 42-year-old Gregory Joseph Scooby of Richmond was well known to police. A passerby walking their dog in the area of Dyke Road near the south arm of the Fraser River made the grim discovery. The cause of Scooby's death hasn't been confirmed. An autopsy expected in the next few days. A 27-year-old man from Coquitlam has been arrested in connection with a disturbing attack at the New Westminster SkyTrain station. After Transit Police released surveillance video of the assault on April the 6th, officers nabbed the suspect at a hotel in Coquitlam. The video showing a woman who appears to accidentally bump into a man as she's rushing to get on the train. There's then an exchange of words. When her back is turned, he throws his coffee at her. When she turns towards him, he shoves her to the ground where she strikes her head pretty hard. The suspect, who is well known to police, is set to appear in court in July. Fortunately, the 42-year-old woman was not seriously hurt. And a man from Qualicum Beach has been arrested in connection with a series of threatening phone calls made to women across B.C., mostly in the Lower Mainland. In February, the RCMP putting out a warning about the troubling calls, which started in 2017. Investigators say a male caller would identify the woman by name and address, claim he'd been watching her through cameras he'd installed in her home, and then demand she engage in a sexual conversation, or else she, or a family member, would be killed. The suspect has been released on a promise to appear in court in July. He has not yet been charged. The investigation remains ongoing. Now, around the province, flood fears are rising as we head into the long weekend. The forecast raising concerns in a number of communities. Jill Bennett now has a look at what's being done to mitigate possible damage. There's a bit of water. Just a little. At the Harrison Bay RV Park, some residents have already moved to higher ground. Others are waiting out an evacuation order for now. How many people, homes, the trailers are affected so far? Uh, over 40, I believe. And have you seen anything like this in a while? Uh, not since 2012. 
Several communities throughout B.C. are bracing for 2012 river levels in the coming days, leading to localized flooding. In Merritt, the mayor is defending that city's response. We were more prepared this year because of our experiences from last year. Because we've got all of these stockpiled, we should be good for the near future and until all of this subsides. And it's not just rivers on the rise. In West Kelowna, members of the military are helping those near the lake shoreline. I mean, this is this is home, right? So you got to come back and help. In Salmo, more preparations underway and a warning. The Kootenai Pass was closed, work being done on a stretch of highway where the bank gave way. Back in the Lower Mainland, the Mission Gauge was reading 5.9 metres Friday afternoon. Already, some areas outside the diking system and lower-lying campgrounds are closed. The water is super high, and my mom said she'd be camping here this weekend, so now I don't know where she is. <laughs> we issued an evacuation alert for about 260 properties. So that's not an order, that's an alert to keep people, get them ready to be prepared to move out if needed. Based on the current projection, there could be a few properties in the very low areas who may need to be evacuated. These Langley students spent the day filling sandbags for the Catesy First Nation. Many hands make the work light, and definitely we had many hands. The Fraser River is expected to reach 6.6 meters on Monday. That could lead to flooded roads and more evacuation orders. Jill Bennett, Global News. And we can tell you that badly needed help is now on the ground in southeastern BC. John Wire is live in Grand Forks for us, where 100 military personnel are arriving to provide flood assistance. John, that's going to be welcome relief there for a lot of people. Well, Sonia, I'm inside what they call a TAPV, and this is a site that the people of Grand Forks have been hoping for. During a time when the mood is tense and people are tired, this military presence is a major boost to morale. Each scoop, every sandbag filled, fill letting the flood-weary residents of Grand Forks know reinforcements are finally here. Everyone's a little bit drained, I think. Um, we're running on hope, and uh, to see those big trucks roll in was something special. 100 Canadian Armed Forces troops from Edmonton have been deployed to the epicenter of last week's flooding to help carry some of the heavy workload and if needed, another round of evacuations. We're going to focus in on a few key spots within the city and make sure that they're, they're shored up for the possible surge that's going to happen tomorrow morning. This look at the devastation of North Ruckel with several homes beyond saving. A stark reminder of what's at stake. The open question, I think, is, is what is within scope for them to, to be able to do for us because we have a lot of needs. You can see even this last-minute work is far from over. The crews here are creating a brand-new dike and are trying to raise it as high as they can. All we're here for is to support them and to get them across that finish line. For Master Corporal David Symington, passing along these sandbags is personal. I, I grew up in Penticton. So I was really happy to come back and help my home province out. The effort heading into the final hour, with water levels expected to crest sometime on Saturday. This is the whole reason why I enlisted in the first place. Be able to help them, it's the whole reason I'm here. And with Grand Fork residents on the brink of exhaustion, this much-needed relief couldn't have come at a more crucial time. Now we spoke to the regional district chair, Rolly Russell, who says whatever happens this weekend, he hopes the military can stay first with the helping of the rapid damage assessments. That's figuring out if and when people can come home. And after that, the long recovery ahead. Sonia? John, thank you very much for all of that tonight. Uh, let's bring in now our meteorologist, Christy Gordon, for a look at the weekend forecast and what uh, these areas can expect, Christy. Mm. 
Well, Sonia, for areas in the interior, rain thankfully is no longer a big concern. There are showers in the forecast, but it will be very spotty. And you can see the rainfall amounts zero to two millimeters. However, we will be watching the lower Fraser River with up to 15 millimeters possible and a risk of intense thunderstorms possible tomorrow afternoon. Now, unfortunately, my clicker is not working. Again, I have picked up the wrong clicker. If someone could click it, that would be great. When it comes to temperature, uh, the snow melt has been very manageable in the last couple of days thanks to cooler conditions, and you can click it one more time, but it is going to warm up. So thankfully, though, it will be slow. So river forecasters are actually hoping that by the time the big heat reaches us or reaches those areas, it will uh, most of the snow will be gone. All right, Christy, we'll see you a bit later on in the newscast. Thanks very much for now. A Victoria man who runs a popular social media site is wanted in connection with a fraud case. 50-year-old Paul Martin Seal is accused of breaching conditions related to a 2009 fraud file involving 13 alleged victims. Investigators say Seal is known to be active on several local Facebook pages, including as the owner of the Victoria BC Today page. Anybody with information on where he might be is being asked to call Victoria Police. Another massacre at an American high school. At least 10 are dead. What we're learning about the student who opened fire. And disaster in Cuba. A Boeing 737 has crashed. Why the national carrier has had to ground a number of its fleets in recent months. That's still ahead, but right now the Vancouver School Board is looking to change some catchment boundaries in order to balance crowded elementary schools with those that are underused. Nadia Stewart has more now on that proposal and why parents are fearing it could lead to their siblings being separated. For the Appledorn family, the plan had always been for both children to eventually go to the same school, but that might not happen anymore. Now that catchment boundaries in some Vancouver neighbourhoods are being reconsidered. It's actually a real tragedy to tear those children apart, make them go to different um, schools, and then have families try to juggle all that with everything else that's going on. The Vancouver School Board says a surge in medium and high-density housing in the Canby Corridor, Mount Pleasant, and Kitsilano neighborhoods, as well as the downtown core, means more elementary-aged students are registering for school. The proposal is to change the boundaries, an attempt to balance out underutilized schools with overcrowded ones. But Appledorn says the board's approach isn't well thought out. They think they're doing us a favor by grandfathering the children that are already in the school to stay there. But the younger siblings are being forced out of into a new catchment, which means they no longer get their priority. They don't even get second priority. They are considered out of catchment. What's more, the VSB and Ministry of Education cannot build their way out of this problem. It takes about five years today uh, from start to finish to build a school in Vancouver. Uh, in North Vancouver, it takes four. In Surrey, it can take as little as three. So Vancouver is an outlier. While the city is working to change that, the board says catchment boundaries still need an update. They're inviting parents to voice their concerns specifically at an open house set for next week. It's very difficult to know where, what parents and what families have siblings uh, that may be affected. This gives us a, a great indication. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Careful. But Appledorn isn't entirely convinced he can influence change. Unfortunately, one of the members that I spoke to told me it was unlikely to change. He was the only one to be honest with me. That tells me that there is a high hurdle to clear for this. Nadia Stork, Global News. 
All right, welcome back. Now, if you're addicted to the grouse grind, you'll want to get your fix in this long weekend. Mother Nature's Stairmaster is closing next Tuesday for up to four weeks for maintenance. Crews will be rock scaling, removing dangerous trees, repairing the steps and replacing safety netting ahead of the busy summer season. That is when 500,000 hikers are expected to pound the trail. The BCMC trail, though, that is still open. Hikers are being encouraged to use that instead while the grouse is closed. And summer has arrived at Kitts Beach. The outdoor pool set to open on Saturday after a $3.3 million upgrade, its first in 40 years. North America's longest saltwater pool has a new membrane to cut down on leaks and save water. The pool, which opened in 1931, overlooks English Bay with views of the North Shore Mountains and the Vancouver skyline. Well, the exodus is well underway for the May long weekend. Let's take you to a live shot from Global One of the Peace Arch border crossing. A lot of people, as you can see, hitting the road, getting out of town to enjoy a few days break. As usual, though, if you've had to fill up today, drivers saw a spike in gas prices. And while they are expected to drop slightly over the next few days, Ted Chenecki now has more on how it could impact those long summer road trips. The one thing many will do this long weekend is belly up to the gas bar and draw out your wallet. That's the sound of liquid gold as refineries and governments cash in on one of the busiest travel weekends of the year. Rob, material prices are low, refined prices are high, someone's making money and it's not the people traveling around British Columbia. It certainly isn't anyone pulling a trailer or driving an RV. These are gas guzzlers, which is why many living near the border do not buy gas in BC. If it cost me about 160 down there, that's with the exchange, to fill up and it'll cost me 240 up here. The main long weekend is the unofficial start of summer. This year, motorists will pay a premium to join the crowd and compete with many drivers who seem to lose their collective minds and patience while blaming governments for the high price of gas. We're sworn in. We've raised the carbon tax one cent, and gas prices have gone up 35 cents in that time. So it's not a tax question in this instance. There might be a sliver of a silver lining in these otherwise dark clouds. The price at the pump might actually drop mid-weekend. Wait till tomorrow. It'll drop at least two cents a litre to $1.59.9, potentially $1.58.9. Whoopee, a buck fifty-eight. Who'd have ever thought that would be good news? As he hung up the nozzle, many dollars lighter in the pocket. Ted Chernecki, Global News. All the teachers are telling us, run, run, go, like, run. At least 10 people killed and hundreds more terrorized after a 17-year-old student dressed in a trench coat and armed with a shotgun and revolver opened fire inside a Texas classroom. It has happened again. Another massacre at an American high school. Just three months after a Florida school shooting sparked a nationwide call for action, nine students and a teacher are dead tonight in Santa Fe, Texas. Police say a student is behind this senseless gunfire that has left ten others wounded. It was sheer panic yet again. Nobody should have to go through this and nobody should feel that pain. It hurts me. My heart. <laughs> See this. Horrified students fearing for their lives. Desperate parents scrambling for answers. She called me. She said, Mom, there's shots. And I said, What? She said, There's shots in the school. And she was crying. 
I turned around and just hauled it all the way to the school. The gunfire at Santa Fe High School began just before 8 this morning. We have several shots fired. Students say they heard a fire alarm, then shots. He's actually shooting. He's in the art room. We've got, we've got shots fired right now, guys. We need to help you. Among those wounded, sophomore Rome Schubert, a baseball player, shot in the neck. He came in this way, through the back of my head, and then exited right there. Any up, any down, any left, any right that I would have been paralyzed or killed. Probably about the luckiest guy alive right now. I don't know. I was scared, though. Bro, I was pretty shaken. Junior Dustin Severin says the suspected shooter is a student who had been picked on before. He doesn't really talk to very many people either. He keeps to himself. He wears a trench coat every day, and it's like 90 degrees out here. Law enforcement sources identify the suspect as 17-year-old Demetrius Pagorchis. Investigators say his journal suggested he'd planned to kill himself, but authorities arrested him before he took his own life. He gave himself up and admitted at the time that he didn't have the courage uh, to commit the suicide, that he wanted to uh, take his own life. As police evacuated the school, another terrifying discovery. There have been explosive devices found in the high school and surrounding areas adjacent to the high school. Susanna Salazar, distraught. When my sister was in the classroom, that's why I'm so worried right now. Moments later, devastating news. You guys, she's that clear. We gotta go. We gotta go. Come on. Oh my God. Go. More than 100 people are dead after a plane crashed moments after taking off from Havana's International Airport. A massive plume of smoke billows from the wreckage of the Boeing 737 at the crash site. The plane was en route from Havana to Holguin. 113 people on board when it went down. State media is reporting that only three people survived. The aircraft belongs to a small Mexican aviation company and was leased to state carrier Cubana. It is unclear clear what caused it to fall from the sky, but we do know that the airline had recently taken some aging planes out of service due to mechanical problems. Well, a double threat of fireballs and toxic gas tonight after Hawaii's volcanic eruption. Those massive cracks known as fissures that have sent geysers of lava in the air are surging in strength right now, threatening even more homes. There's also growing concerns over air quality on the big island, with sulfur dioxide coming out of the ground and a massive plume of ash and soot slowly raining down from Kilauea's crater. Well, we're just hours away now from the wedding of Prince Harry and actress Meghan Markle. Our Dawn of Friesen is live in Windsor for the nuptials for us. And Dawn of the Excitement must really be building now. Oh, Sonia, I wish you could be here because this is, this <laughs> is like made for you. It's such a it's I bet you do. It's such a happy story. It's uh, it's Windsor. It's just a town. You know, it's not a big city for for anyone who hasn't been here. It's a tiny town and it is just covered with um, well-wishing for this couple, for Meghan and Harry. There's bunting everywhere. There are pictures of them everywhere on every storefront. Marks and Spencer has changed their name in town to Markle and Sparkle. It's just um, a real celebration. And so uh, there are already people camping out on the streets. Um, can't wait till tomorrow when the wedding finally takes place. This wedding has not been without its drama. You know, a lot of stuff uh, on Meghan's side of the family. Her father, we know now, is not able to attend her wedding won't be able to give her away. But uh, new details today about who is going to give her away. 
Yes, lots of family drama. And now Prince Charles has stepped into the, um, the, the absence of Meghan's own father. He has said that he will walk uh, Meghan partway down the aisle. She's going to kind of sort of break from tradition and walk part of the way, the first half roughly, by herself with the page boys and flower girls, 10 of them, 10 children surrounding her. So that'll be very interesting to see how that all goes, because some of the kids are very young. Then Prince Charles will join her and escort her the rest of the way down the aisle. A lot of people were wishing that her, her mother, Doria Ragland, would walk her um, to, to the altar. But, you know, other people are saying, look, this is a chance for Prince Charles to sort of show how much he and his family are embracing her and, and welcoming her to the family. So that's what we'll see tomorrow. I think that we are living in such tumultuous times. There's so much negativity now. There's so much uncertainty about the future. So much of what we do in the news every day is so negative and so tragic that for a, a, a two days, one day even, let's just embrace two people who are in love, clearly in love with each other, and are taking this leap of faith and getting married. And uh, I think we should be joyful in the moment, and then we'll move on to the rest of the news after that. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you in a few hours, fresh and, uh, and bright for, for the wedding, which, uh, of course, is going to be very, very late for us. Thank you. Yeah, and a reminder that live coverage of the royal wedding with Donna Friesen begins at 2.30 a.m. tomorrow on Global BC and BC One. If you cannot stomach waking up that early, don't worry. It's going to be rebroadcast on BC One beginning at 10 a.m. All right, let's uh, move to health matters tonight now. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved a potential breakthrough drug in the treatment of migraine headaches. The monthly self-injection is designed to stop migraines before they even start. 26-year-old Lisa Ferentino's migraines started when she was just a freshman in high school. How about up here? It's an all-over pain. It's not just your head. She tried dozens of medications, and nothing could stop the more than 15 migraines she'd have each month. 39 million Americans suffer from migraines. But now, a major breakthrough. The FDA approving the first medication in a new class of drugs designed to prevent migraines. It is targeting one of the causes of the disease rather than just being something invented for something else that was found to be useful for migraine. The drug works by blocking a molecule called CGRP, which in high levels can cause the body to feel more pain. Studies show monthly injections of the new drug, called Amovig, cut the number of migraines in half for nearly 50% of patients who took it. That could be life-changing. Yeah, for someone who's having frequent migraines, 50% um, fewer migraines could make a huge difference in their quality of life. It was for Lisa, who now rarely has migraines. It makes life so much easier. The drug will cost $6,900 a year, but may be covered by insurance. It should be widely available next week. Dr. John Torres, NBC News, Fairfield, Connecticut. All right, just in time, a new home has been found for dozens of parrots rescued from a refuge in Coombs. We'll tell you where the feathery friends are going after the forecast with Christy. All over to you right now. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks so much, Sonia. Sonia. So, you know, in the last 24 hours, the hardest hit area for rainfall was the boundary in Kootenai region. It's sort of on a waiting pattern there. This is Grand Forks with the peak expected later today or more likely tomorrow. All of that rain from yesterday is still making its way down into that area, whereas the rest of the South Co- or the um, interior regions, far less rain. Great news. This is the Mission Creek in Kelowna showing far, m- no peak really, a gradual improvement and or increase, and that's about it. And part of the reason for that is also in the last little while we've had these cooler conditions. So this is an example of the snowmelt that they've seen because of those cooler conditions. These numbers are very, very manageable for the amount of rain that makes its way into the rivers and streams. And it looks like, according to the forecast, we're going to continue on potentially more manageable snowmelt. So it is going to warm up, but it will be uh, not as warm as what it could be or will be later on in the week. Here's an example of how much snow is in the snowpack right now. At mid-elevation, only 10%, so we're really nearly there. Higher elevations, though, still 60 to 80%. Uh, We hope that a lot of that will be gone by the time that big heat pushes in. The one area we are concerned about, though, is that lower Fraser River. As I mentioned, a lot of rain expected there. This picture from Frank, thank you so much. You can see there's the walkway, how high the river is uh, down through there. Now, that rain is also going to push into the south coast. Yes, we have a chance of showers tomorrow. It will be mainly along the mountains and out in the Fraser Valley. Should be mostly dry in the Metro Vancouver region, but there's still that slim chance for your Saturday afternoon. Meanwhile, across the north, also chance of showers across the north coast. Most other areas dry. Down through the south, a chance of showers in through the West Kootenai region. Boundary region also has a chance of showers with a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon, but it will be very spotty, similar to what we'll see here across the south coast region. So there's your forecast. We do have that slim chance of showers tomorrow. Better chance for Metro Vancouver will be showers Sunday morning. Hot and dry, though, after that. Lots to look forward to. A nice shot from Roy Green in Kamloops of some cows in the sunshine. Thank you very much for that, Christy. Good picture. All right, let's stay with the wildlife for a second. Dozens of parrots rescued from a now-defunct Vancouver Island sanctuary now have a new home. There's about 100 birds. 70 of them had been staying in an East Vancouver building slated for demolition. They're all now going to be moved to a farmhouse in Ladner. So nearly 600 abandoned parrots were plucked from the World Parrot Refuge in Coombs two years ago after its founder died. Since then, Vancouver's Greyhaven Exotic Bird Sanctuary has rehomed most of them The remaining birds will be enjoying some country living while they wait to be adopted into forever homes. I do like parrots. All waiting for their crackers. crackers. Pretty creative. Yeah. Um, They're all named Polly, everyone. All right, let's uh, catch up with All Your Day Sport now with Barry. All right, thanks so much, uh, Sonia. The uh, Lions announced a couple of roster moves just before they get ready for training camp, which starts Sunday in Kamloops. Yes, CFL training camp's already. Receiver Nick Moore has announced his retirement, and defensive lineman Mikael Brooks has been released. He had a great rookie season in 2015, but hasn't been nearly as effective since. He had just one sack last year. Now, the Lions, of course, missed the playoffs in 2017 for the first time in 20 years. If they're going to get back, starting quarterback Jonathan Jennings needs to regain the form that made him one of the most dynamic young pivots in the league. And the Lions took a lot of steps in the offseason to make sure Jennings does just that. Second 
John Jennings spent way too much time last season running for his life, and because of that, made some poor decisions with the football. Part of it was his fault, a lot of it wasn't. So new Lions GM Ed Hervey has tried to remedy that situation by making the beleaguered offensive line stronger and in turn give Jennings more time to make great plays. Uh, that's kind of one of the first things he talked to me about is just you know, making sure that we uh, give ourselves the best opportunity to, to have a little extra time and um, to be able to make some of those plays downfield so um, you get those big plays with line protection and um, you know allowing yourself a little bit more time to, to get down the field. The Lions also have a new offensive coordinator, former quarterback Jarius Jackson. His motto is, the faster the better. Throw the ball quickly, avoid the sacks, and get some rhythm on offense. You know, we're going to try to protect ourselves as much as the line is protecting us as well. We're going to try to make sure we're getting the ball out of our hands. And, um, you know, we're doing some good things, so I'm excited about that. That's, you know, what he wants. He wants to be able to make good decisions because he's smart. He works hard. He's got a good arm. Second down. It's not there. Jennings had a stellar 2016, throwing for over 5,000 yards and 27 touchdowns as the Lions made it to the West Final. But last year, Jennings was never the same after an early season shoulder injury, throwing a league-high 19 interceptions and just not playing to the level that he set the previous year. Just had to make sure I got my, my mind, body, and spirit just back together. And, um, you know, Wally always talks about just uh, healing more than the body, but also the mind. And, uh, just making sure that uh, I'm coming in this year focused and, and ready to attack it, ready to attack the season just like I always have. The Lions have made a lot of changes this offseason, but the biggest change in 2018 has to come from Jennings. If he can regain his form, the Lions are contenders once again. As I've always said, the quarterback makes everybody better or he makes everybody worse. I guess Jennings is their man, for better or for worse. All right, Mr. Las Vegas, Wayne Newton, cranking things up for Game 4 between the Golden Knights and the Jets. Winnipeg trailing the series 2-1, and Vegas starts fast, as they almost always do. On the power play, William Carlson, one-timer, 1-0 Golden Knights, 8-1 record when they score first in the playoffs. Golden Knights paying attention to Mark Shifley, who's got 14 goals. Blatant interference there by Braden McNabb. Shifley gives him a slash, and he's the only one who gets the penalty. Paul Maurice livid. That's a horrible call by the referee, Brad Meyer. But Jets tied up on a power play. Patrick Lyonnais loading up the one-timer. They need him to score to stay in this series. Ties it at one, but as has often been the case... The Golden Knights answer right back, and just 43 seconds later, Hellebuck can't control the easy shoot-in, and it's Thomas Nosek who scores a fourth-line goal. 2-1 Golden Knights right now in the second. It's a day off at the RBC Cup in Chilliwack, but the host Chiefs will be in the semis tomorrow night. Last night against Steinbach, Manitoba, Corey Andonofsky scored here to give the Chiefs a 1-0 lead. Chilliwack has played very well in the tournament. Of course, they had a huge break between their playoffs and this tourney, but they found their stride. Here's a great play. Ethan Bowen to his younger brother, Ryan Bowen, who's into the lineup as a 16-year-old. 2-0 in the first. And then Caden Pickering with some insurance, and the Chiefs win 4-1. They finish at 3-0-1 in the round robin, second place behind Wenatchee. The Chiefs will play Ottawa 7 o'clock tomorrow in the semis. And some PGA action from a very hot uh, Dallas, Texas, the AT&T Byron Nelson, hometown boy Jordan Spieth, 
great tee shot on the par three. And he had a nice round. Seven under par now through two rounds. He is tied for 20th in contention. Japan's Hideki Matsuyama with the putt of the day. This is what you call the old S putt. It breaks hard to the right. And then it's going to come back to the left. That's a great shot by uh, Matsuyama. 63 today. He's also at 7 under. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford made the cut. Ozzy Mark Leishman has the lead. And if you want to watch the third round right here on Global tomorrow at 1230. Oh, brilliant. That's if you're not tired from waking up for the wedding. You might be napping then. uh, I think it'd be perfect, actually. Royal wedding, golf. (laughs) Just keep going. Just keep going. Daily double. Thank you very much, Barry. Uh, Let's cross over now to Andrew and now with a look at what's happening on Global News at 11 tonight. Anne? Thanks, Sonia. And a popular Port Moody restaurant has voluntarily closed its doors because of a norovirus outbreak that has affected staff and customers. And North Shore Rescue says 2018 is shaping up to be its busiest year to date with members responding to 41 calls so far. As we kick off the May long weekend, North Shore Rescue is urging outdoor enthusiasts to educate themselves before heading out on the trails. That's all coming up tonight when you join us at 11 o'clock. Sonia? Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Now, what is lurking in the woods? The growing popularity of remote camera photography. That is what we're going to be talking about next. But first, here's Kasha Baderka with the five things to do this weekend. Kasha? Some very unique inaugural events are in store, but first, in its 72nd year, the Cloverdale Rodeo and Country Fair is back for the long weekend. Once again, it'll feature the world's best cowboys and cowgirls, in addition to live entertainment, food, and fun for all ages. For the first time, the Vancouver Grand Prix Equestrian Showcase is coming downtown. 500 tons of Olympic-quality sand will create an equestrian riding ring outside of the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. Then, expect everything a fine equestrian event has to offer. And it's free. The Richmond Night Market is back for the season. Expect, as always, a massive market, exciting foods, a games and kids area, live entertainment, a magical dino park, and more. Time travel back 4,500 years and experience ancient Egyptian life. That is, if you visit the new exhibit at the Royal BC Museum. Egypt, the time of pharaohs, brings ancient priceless artifacts for the first time ever to North America. Celebrate and toast to our local crafters of beer and culinary stars at the Fort Langley Beer and Food Festival. Enjoy live entertainment with an historic spin at the Fort Langley National Historic Site. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Coming up on ET Canada, our royal coverage from Windsor, including Sangeeta's sighting of the two princes. Plus, it's an Arrested Development preview and Josh Brolin getting in shape for Deadpool 2. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you. All right, thanks very much for that, Carlos. All right, it's the unique way to get to know your neighbours using cameras. Not those kind of cameras. As Global's Sarah Offin reports, cabin owners west of Calgary are using remote technology to track wildlife on their property. A mother cougar and her playful kittens out for a nightly stroll. Evidence of just how far trail cam photography and now videography has come. 
Remote cameras have long been used by Parks Canada to track wildlife, but improved technology and lower costs are now appealing to recreational photographers. Viv Klingbell got her first trail cam 13 years ago. We didn't see a lot of a lot of wildlife to start with, but we did see lots of tracks. As they arrived to their cabin west of Calgary this weekend, this is how they found their fake beehive. A quick check on one of 30 cameras, and there's proof a curious guest was passing through. I look so forward to weekends because that's when we empty our cameras, and I've convinced myself that literally Sasquatch has gone by. No Sasquatch just yet, but there have been some incredible moments, all caught by motion-triggered photography. After the fox, then we started getting wolves and cougars, lots of cougars, and then lynx, literally everything that wanders these woods. Klingbell's photos are well known now on social media, and in June she'll be presenting her findings at a local Pecha Kucha event. Findings that have changed the way the family approaches the outdoors. We start paying more attention, and you know, from my point of view, when I know there's a grizzly around, um, I look over my shoulder much more than I would normally do. Giving them a new appreciation for their shared home away from home. The cameras are an amazing way to remind us that there are a ton of other creatures out here who share the woods with us. So I think that's really special. Sarah Often, Global News. Mm, cute story. All right. Just a reminder again that I have to do this. The I royal know. wedding. It's in, your, it's in your blood. It's in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> the royal wedding is going to be broadcast live here from 2.30 tomorrow morning with Donna Friesen. So do catch that if you can. A.M. Yes. You have plenty of <laughs> tissues so you yeah. don't... Uh, do you know why uh, I love the royal wedding? Yeah. I was a big Diana fan. So it's just nice mm -hmm. to see her sons all grown up and then... And doing know, so well. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's a cute love story. I just yeah. think that's why it's cute. It is romantic. I yeah. have to admit that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think I'll PVR it. I'm not going to wake up for it, yeah, but I'll no. PVR it. All right. I probably still won't have gone to bed, so I'm just, just going to be awake Partier. at that time. Um, and weather-wise, quick cut yeah. word on that, Christy. So we're not completely in the clear this weekend. We certainly do have a chance of showers mainly along the mountains and in the Fraser Valley tomorrow. Metro Vancouver should be mostly dry, but we do have a chance Sunday morning. All right. Enjoy your tea and cake, champagne, and uh, we'll see you back here on Monday.